Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. Today we have guest Michael Villar, uh, who is the Director of Network Architecture and Engineering at UBS. Some uh, big shoes to fill there, and um, definitely we're going to talk today about something interesting that, that we had had a discussion, Michael and I, about uh, micro-segmentation with uh, firewalls and security. But uh, Michael, thanks for coming on today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Definitely. So Michael, give us kind of in your own words, how you got to where you're at, your background. Sure, sure. So, um, uh, you know, I've I kind of got interested with the security aspects and in, in, in pretty much every every facet, facet of it since I was a uh, really young, right? So um, around 13 years old, I, I got involved <laughs> in some stuff that I kind of regret a little bit, but I, I uh, used to, you know, deal with uh, some uh, you know, shady people on the internet, right? So, uh, you know, they ran a lot of botnets and, you know, you know, piracy channels. And, you know, I, I got heavily involved in doing that stuff because I was able to make a kind of a quick buck. I don't want to get too many details on it because, uh, you know, the, I don't know what the statute of limitations are, but um, I... I Realized that you know I can kind of make what we were doing kind of more efficient by uh, you know pushing up uh, kind of patches and scripting that so I can kind of make our you know network of what we were doing kind of cleaner. So you know I learned a lot about it and and what's what's honestly interesting about it in, in doing all that back then was that it's still really applicable uh, to kind of what we do for security today. Um, and so you know obviously I, I you know I couldn't do that make a living off of doing stuff like that and I certainly wouldn't want to and, uh, you know I. So I, I had to get a real job, right? So um, you know, I, I worked in I worked in a variety of different industries. Um, I, I worked for uh, I did a lot of construction. Uh, I just live in Miami, so I you know I did a lot of construction and like roofing down there. And then uh, I worked in a, a, a warehouse that was a freight forwarder for cell phones uh-huh. uh, to the Caribbean. Um, and on the wall there, we had a, a, just a clock that always read noon and a thermometer that always read like 110 degrees. Uh, but we had a lot of downtime, right? So in the downtime, I just, you know, would pick up some books and try and, you know, you know, uh, study, get some certification, something that'll get me a job in air conditioning, right? So <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the goal back then. And uh, you know, I, I got a, you know, I got out of that, and was able to, uh, you know, work to, uh, you know, some computer repair type of stuff, and you know, I did, you know, some component level repair and stuff, and uh, I, I learned a lot, um, uh, and was able to kind of parlay that into a position at uh, University of Miami, where I, I did. Uh, a lot of desktop support and like sysadmin. Uh, it kind of became kind of a sysadmin at that point. And, um, you know, opportunity opened up for me to kind of break into like the financial services uh, industry. So uh, I took a position over at Wells Fargo. Uh, I got a, a job there and I've worked in a variety of different roles. Um, you know, started out doing a lot of sysadmin kind of stuff and, and I, I got bored with it, right? I get bored uh, after about two years doing whatever I do, mm-hmm. uh, except for Microsoft as it turns out. But um I wanted to move into the network engineering space. So, uh, you know, I kind of shifted gears and uh, I ended up taking a role at the uh, at the, the Charlotte headquarters for Wells Fargo. Um, and we ran a huge network lab over there. So 
um, got to bring in a lot of new technology, test it out thoroughly, uh, learned a lot about um, you know, how it is to bring in a solution into the enterprise, but also how to validate the solution is going to work. And you know, even learning about the hardware aspects layer one and you know, what that means and, and, and you know, give me kind of a well-rounded out uh, you know, kind of skill set at that point. Um, but uh, you know, I had an opportunity to take a, an, another engineering role uh, outside of the, that position and uh, focus on the, the network analytics network tools. Um, so you know, I learned about uh, and just you know, became kind of uh, an expert in, in how things communicate um, from, from that perspective and what we look at from analytics and network analytics uh, and things like that. So you know, at this stage in, in my career, I'm, I'm, I'm a jack of all trades, right? I've been dealing with you know, Linux, uh, Windows, uh, and, and uh, you know, all, all forms of the network technology, mm-hmm. you know, different types of uh, components in the stack. And uh, you know, I see this, uh, you know, this technology coming down the road. It's uh, something called micro-segmentation, and it really just takes all of those different components and it combines them into kind of a, a unified solution where you can take all these different aspects and, and collect visibility data and derive a, uh, a profile and a policy that you can apply at a you know, very granular level to an individual host. Okay. So, well, let's, um, you know, I, let's take a break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. Sure. <laughs> we're right back, though, because we're going to unpack this micro-segmentation and, and what it is that you're talking about. Be right back. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Michael VR, and uh, we were talking about micro, just starting to get into micro-segmentation, the topic of today's show. Um, and, uh, I want you to, first of all, you know, define that what it is, what is it, if we've never heard the term before, what does micro segmentation mean to you? Right. Micro segmentation is really about applying some sort of enforcement point, some sort of control, um, at a, at a much lower level, um, and controlling traffic from uh, a workload, uh, and controlling it in an East to West and North to South. So it's around uh, firewalls though. What? Where are you implementing this? Is it on, you know, give us kind of that scope thing. Yeah. So what you, with most of these technologies, what you should traditionally do is you deploy a software agent. That's not the only way, but it's the, one of the most common ways. And the software agent functions as a, a way to gather visibility and telemetry data, mm-hmm. but also as an enforcement point. So essentially you're taking all of your existing server estate and all of your different existing infrastructure and turning that into an individual firewall. So it's, pretty much increasing the firewall count in your organization by an order of magnitude. Um, but it provides a significant level of granularity that you wouldn't have otherwise. You're able to restrict communications at the actual, uh, at the actual host level rather than sitting at a, a, different, a different point in the network like you would with a traditional firewall. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, sounds like a lot of work because you're now diversifying your, your firewall rule set and everything, right? It, it, it is. It is a lot of work, and, and it's very easy to do it in a way that 
will result in, 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 in failure of the program, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and I, I found that, um, you know, a lot of the companies that I've been a part of, you know, Wells Fargo, uh, Deutsche Bank and, and UBS, they're all generally trying to do the same thing with Microsoft. And most companies are. Um, but the implementation of it and how you do it, there's certain things that you can do to make sure that you, you're going to be successful, right? And, and a lot of it has to do with leveraging context. And it's kind of one of the, you know, I hate to use it, but it's a tenant of the zero trust is trying to make things uh, as dynamic as possible. Mm-hmm. Because in order to maintain, you know, 50, 60, 80,000 firewalls, it's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's possible, right? You know, to do that like you would a traditional firewall. So you need to have some sort of context. You need to have this dynamic. You need to understand what your policy intent is and be able to dynamically adjust depending on, you know, how it understands what your environment is. You can essentially take it as looking at your inventory, what you understand your, your organization has inside of its, or, inside of its uh, uh, you know, inventory for, for assets and, and then overlaying how the network actually communicates and devising a policy based on that. Interesting. So, Banks are usually very, very security conscious. They're, you know, people are after money. Banks have money. So they're usually, you know, kind of on the higher end of the security. Um, as far as if, if I looked at this as my organization's considering this, what point, because we, you know, we kind of mentioned that it, it's a little bit extra work, workload on the, the security team. At what point and when does maybe a traditional method have you know more value to the organization when should we transfer over you know what would be that kind of risk trade-off and key points that you would consider in deciding to do this in the first place right so i mean there's a couple ways of looking at it um you know from a risk perspective you're going to be able to mitigate against things like ransomware mm-hmm. right? and then you can associate a very uh you know high cost associated with that um if you do have a, a breach and you do have a ransomware attack that's going to be very expensive. Um, this is going to help mitigate that because you're going to be able to shut off um, a lot of these passive communication uh, between your hosts. So you wouldn't be able to do that even with you know traditional firewall. You still potentially you know open up yourself to that risk. So from a risk perspective, conducting a you know a risk analysis, uh, you know quantifying the value of it, I think that you'll be able to make the determination just from a risk perspective. But even outside of that, if you introduce a host-based firewall, your reliance on a physical firewall could be reduced by a substantial amount as well. I, I think that there's a lot that can be done on the perimeter uh, of the network, right? You want to be able to have, you know, comprehensive DDoS protection, things like that. An agent may not be the most suitable place for that, but for the inside of your network, um, you'll be able to uh, have a, you know, pretty comprehensive uh, solution, right? And, and having uh, internal firewalls um, may not be as necessary, right? So it kind of, lets you adapt uh, and adopt a, a much more uh, granular policy and using your host as the enforcement point, but also letting your network act as the transportation and rather than as an enforcement piece, right? So that's, that's one of the areas where I think that this has a lot of value. And that's what I think a lot of organizations that I've been a part of have seen. Uh, and, and that's you know, kind of why they've, they've moved in that direction. Interesting. So when you're starting this kind of from the ground up, if you went in and said somebody, you know, company's not doing this, and I guess you've done this several times now. Um, talk about that process and what kind of a level of effort you kind of go through to make this make this happen. Well, that's that's the interesting part. You can make this as difficult as you want it to be, right? So um, there's a lot of recommendations that I have when you're starting out or initiating the conversation around around a program for uh, micro segmentation. 
Um, and really what it is, is especially in an enterprise, is, is getting everybody aligned from the top down, right? Understanding uh, what the responsibilities are from a security perspective, because you're going to have different components that are associated with this. It's a network analytics tool, but it's also a security tool, right? So you're going to have to have the network teams involved. You're going to have to have network security or even the CISO organization involved. What are their use cases? You want to protect data, you should have the chief data office involved as well, right? And then ultimately, it's a software agent in a lot of cases, and you're going to need to have the uh, infrastructure teams involved. You're going to be deploying a software agent. You need to make sure that that's automated and working properly. So everybody at the top needs to understand and treat it as a strategy and bring it in as a strategy. And that's going to make the progress of the program move much smoother when everybody understands what they need to do and what they need to offer. Um, and understanding what the use cases are and what you intend on delivering, even if you don't intend on doing it day one, understanding what you may want to do with this product early on will help you understand what kind of information you need to feed this product how you need to build it out so that it's going to be compatible with the design. So you're going to have to make adjustments in the design. So understanding everything up front and planning for it up front means that down the road, you won't have to change uh, your, your, your model. And ultimately, if when you're ready to go into an, an enforcement state with these tools and, and push you out your policy, because you've been monitoring your application and you've come up with your, your schema for your policy, when you're ready to do it on one of them or one asset, you should be ready to do it on all of them. It should be a very short execution phase but a longer planning phase. The more time you spend planning, the more time, the easier your execution phase will be. Um, and I think that's what happens with a lot of these programs is people want to focus on progress uh, and they, they want to look at and identify progress based on how many agents or pieces of software have been put into enforcement. But that's not the great, the, the best measure of uh, performance with these programs. And that's where I think a lot of people run into some trouble is they end up uh, making concessions and building a monument to compromise. And, and that's going to be what I think the, a lot of challenge for a lot of organizations is, is going to be. Interesting. So it's you can't do a phased approach. You can't say, let's do 20 computers a day. It has to be a, we're going to get this thing ready like a waterfall, get all the agents out really quick, and then turn it on all at once. That's the way I would recommend it because when you start moving into your operational model, whatever utility you've built out via automation and whatever uh, methods you're going to be used to develop that policy, you could do it manually, sure. But when you move 20 servers into that enforcement state, then you have to maintain those manually. Mm -hmm. And then another 20 are going to move into enforcement state. So now you have 40 to maintain. So it just keeps becoming more, more of a problem. And so it's better to build the automation up front understand what your policy is going to be, make it as dynamic as possible. Yeah, I don't worry about IP addresses. I don't even worry about what a uh, what environment or what you know network a, a device is supposed to be in. It makes no difference to me. I look at it as a work as, a, as an asset, uh, you know, uh, just a workload, right? Mm -hmm. And this workload is, you know, supposed to function in a certain way. And I define that based on my policy intent. So regardless of where that workload resides, as long as it, you know, that we have an inventory of it, um, then we can, I don't care if you move it to the cloud today or they get deplatformed, they get moved to a different cloud or if they get moved back on-prem, makes no difference to me. That policy should be adaptable and follow that asset wherever it goes. And that's how you have to build this out so that the operational aspects and maintaining it is, is much easier. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in a sense, uh, it's easier to do it in just kind of one shot because you've built out all the automation you need. All right, let's take a break. We're here from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. 
Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On with Michael VR, and uh, we were talking about micro-segmentation. And before the break, um, you were talking about deploying this and the 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 kind of putting all the agents out there and then having a centralized place where you push to, to do some controls in the, in the overall structure of this. Um, and as soon as I heard that, it makes me think a, a single point of failure possibility, capable, you know, problem area. What, what have you seen or where, what do you see about that possibly being an issue or what have you experienced? Yeah. So what I found with most of these platforms is that um, the agent, itself can run headless. Mm -hmm. um, so what that means is that the policy will persist. Uh, when you lose the orchestration or your policy engine or you know, your policy deployment point, um, you, you, you're not going to lose network connectivity. You're not going to lose your policy. Everything is going to continue operating. You just won't be able to make the modifications that you need to make right, for policy. Um, unless, of course, you, you know, log into the system and you know, break glass and you know, remove the agent or, you know, mm -hmm. remove the piece of software, make a manual change on that host. Um, generally speaking, most of these platforms are designed in a very resilient way. And their the intention there is to have a lot of redundancy um, and to, you know, get this platform, you know, back up online. They, they usually offer a, a way to build it out to have a, a tremendous amount of redundancy so, and resiliency. So that, that's really uh, what you have to design when you're building this out is, you know, you have to treat this, in my perspective, I would treat it as, as critical infrastructure, right? This is, you know, one of your, key policy deployment points for your organization, uh, you want to have uh, the uptime. So, you know, don't skimp out on, you know, deploying it with the availability zones, right? So you're going to spend, you have to spend the money to, to do it properly. And, and that's one of the, the, the things you need to focus on and, you know, build the security around the solution, make sure that, you know, it's being managed and maintained properly because just like anything else that handles that, you know, that does orchestration like that, you can turn off a company if you had yeah. somebody as a bad actor, something malicious. So, yeah, definitely. Um, um, mm -hmm. something something that was malicious riding on that central infrastructure. Um, ever concerned about that? I mean, you 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 always have to be concerned about that. Um, you have to weigh out the risk. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like we've had conversations with people that are concerned about the vulnerabilities that exist on a, on the a, the mm -hmm. software agent itself, mm -hmm. right? And I understand where their concerns come from. You're introducing a piece of software. Any piece of software is going to have some vulnerability, whether we've known about it or not. But would you rather have every single port uh, exposed uh, on, on your system or have a software agent on there that you've, you know, put through the, you know, the pen testing and, and you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're always, uh, you know, uh, investigating whether it's, there's any potential uh, you know, uh, vulnerabilities on, right? So you have to decide on what's the less risky endeavor for you. Um, and, and what I find is, it's, you're better off, uh, you know, putting the security uh, and installing the agent and, and accepting whatever risk may exist with the agent because the alternative is, you know, letting things communicate basically freely, uh, you know, on the inside of any uh, any firewall network. So yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think um, there's always been a, you know, or at least the last couple of years, a divide between can we just put something on and monitor traffic and get a big AI engine that, that does some correlations uh, and that's good enough security for me? Or do we need to push to the endpoints and have each end node participating in that, like you said, zero trust? Um, and you're firmly on the side of, you know, pushing to the end nodes is, is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're going to have the best visibility when you sit that close to the to the workload you're trying to uh, mm-hmm. to secure, right? So you're going to have the the the, the most data uh, available to you, and you'll have the most granularity. If nothing else, if you decided that you don't want to go with a you know a, a hyper dynamic policy, you don't want to bring in labels and context, you can still look at an individual host an individual server and see how it communicates over a period of 60 or 90 days and get yourself a, a policy that's going to be within 99.99% accuracy, depending on how long you, you, you want to analyze it for. And now you've gone, you've gone and you've, you've placed a, a policy on there that is going to be the absolute most granular policy you can place on, on, on that host. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the data that you collect in these platforms, what I always try and do is, is, is try and, uh, you know, push it as a defense in depth approach and, you know, it usually comes as a later phase. And I want to have this policy translated and replicated on, you know, my north and southbound firewalls as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that way I can, you know, incorporate defense in depth. Uh, I want it incorporated into my network security groups. So the idea is, you know, for me is, is I have the best data and I have the, the lowest, uh, you know, the most uh, refined point of, uh, of enforcement. I want to use this as my policy engine for for my for my company, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to tie this in via integrations. I want to be able to branch the capability out and use that uh, policy derivation engine, and, and use that for the other pieces of, of of infrastructure that I have and different enforcement points that I have. Yeah. So now you've you've implemented a few of these. Talk about what the benefits you've seen. You know what's happened after the fact, and and you know how that compared to maybe before implementation. Yeah, so uh, every organization has, you know, different had different use cases for why they want to bring it in, right? So, you know, um, it, it was defense in depth for one of the companies that I worked at. They wanted to make sure that their uh, high payment, high dollar payment systems were were, were really secure. Mm-hmm. So they kept firewalls in place. They didn't care about money. They just wanted to make sure that these systems can only communicate to what they could communicate to. Uh, they wanted to eliminate as much risk as possible to the systems. So. I couldn't give you the quantified number of the, you know, the, and the value for that, for, for how they determined that it was worth bringing in the solution for that. But I do know that as far as a, from a network perspective and applying that policy, that was as granular as we we're going to get. I mean, we we're applying even controls down to the individual process and only allowing the process to communicate to specific systems. So we got very granular with that. And um, at the end of it, you know, they felt that those systems were, were secure. They're, the you know audit and regulatory bodies felt that those systems were highly secure as well, so um, that's how they perceived it. For other organizations, I mean, it was uh, being able to bring the solution even as a tactical solution. Um, you know, we we were able to save what was a cost avoidance, right? Because there was a regulatory finding. We were insufficiently segmented, and, and ultimately we uh, needed to, uh, to to segment uh, the organization and, and and do something that didn't require physical lift and shift of equipment. That was going to be too time-consuming and too difficult. So uh, we were able to use a micro-segmentation solution to do that, and that was saving, uh, you know, quite a bit of money every quarter, um, and, and 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 more than funded our program for sure. So you know, regulatory findings, things like that, that was just a, a benefit. But 
Um, you know, when you look at it more strategic and, you know, and other organizations I've been a part of, uh, the truth is it, it's just it, the cost savings alone, just from the firewalls that we're not deploying, mm-hmm. it's, it's a substantial, right. And the security that we're getting and the understanding that we're getting of how our, how our network communicates, the visibility, um, and the enhancements that it's done for our operations teams to understand that, you know, Hey, this packet never left that server. You know, I think that you shouldn't take this ticket and put it into the network queue because according to the data that we have, that packet never traversed uh, the network. There's an issue with the application server. That doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we can save on operations costs. We, we, we investigated it from a risk perspective and we save there as well. And we look at the hardware costs and we save there as well. Um, so, you know, really it just depends on what is the initiating factor for your program, but regardless of which direction you go in, if with the proper implementation, this solution really should be saving you money. It should be making things easier, not harder. And if it's making things harder, then it needs to be reevaluated because it's not a technology problem. I think usually it's going to be a people problem, which is, you know, unfortunate part of it. Interesting. Saving money and, and, um, regulation was the other one that I pulled it, that you were talking about. The, um, the, the meeting regulation is that, you know, which one, because a lot of times, saving money is hard to define because you don't know what you would have spent anyway. Um, so mm-hmm. most companies I hear target, you know, what do I have to do for regulation, which, you know, is it something, you know, that you, you're more on one side of that than the other, or what's your thoughts there? Um, so I, I think that it's easier to quantify the cost avoidance when you talk about, uh, you know, the regulatory uh, aspect of it, right? Because you know what you're going to be fined mm-hmm. if you don't, do what you need to do, right? Um, so it's easier to quantify that. So I can say, you know, that they were going to fine us, uh, hypothetically speaking, uh, $1.5 million a quarter. Uh, it was 500, maybe from three different uh, regulatory agencies, right? If we didn't do this and we didn't show progress on it. Um, that tells me that this program is going to save us whatever it costs and whatever the staffing costs minus the $1.5 million a quarter mm-hmm. perpetually. <laughs> until we can, you know, uh, segment this uh, environment using the traditional method. Mm-hmm. So when you weigh it out, the traditional method versus the, uh, uh, you know, the, the non-traditional microsegmentation method, it really, you know, weighed out in the microsegmentation fa- uh, favor um, for that. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So is um, but it also enhanced security across the board as well. So yeah. it was good for us. Yeah. Is it? Um, I'm I'm curious about the regulation, and I'm not as familiar with it in the financial industry. Is that sometimes uh, something where companies are fined all the time or every year if they don't have a certain type of security? And sometimes they might just say, that's business as usual. We'll go ahead and pay it rather than taking the added cost of security. Um, well, I can't speak too in depth from that. I, you know, I, my experience working in like the, the, the chief security office and, you know, and my exposure to it, what I can say is that in most circumstances, you're not going to want to uh, pay that fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't look good, right? Because it's going to be reputational damage on top of the fact that you're good, you're, you're losing money, you're bleeding money for no reason, and you're doing the wrong thing, right? So we, every bank that I've been a part of, we take the, um, you know, regulatory aspects of what we need to introduce extremely seriously. Uh, and that becomes how our programs are actually formed and defined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where budget comes from is because there is a regulatory finding, it's a reactionary thing you don't want to always be reacting to the you know regulatory findings, but the, the, the you know regulatory findings will change. They want to make sure that financial organizations are up to snuff on security. 
Um, so they will audit you and they will investigate and they will look at uh, you know, what you're doing into the security space. And if they see that you're uh, not where you need to be, mm-hmm. uh, they, they will tell you what, what you need to do in order to get to that point. And you, it's, you're doing a bank's responsibility to make that happen. Uh, and if you're, you know, very ineffective at it, and you know you ignore the warnings, then you know that's possible that you can be facing a fine if you don't uh, do the right thing. Int- so that's typically, you know, what drives it. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, I, I just hear that regulation is always so far behind that if you want to be on top of the, the security, you got to be, le- you know, leading and not just, you know, trying to do what the bare the minimum that regulation says you have to meet. So I was just curious about that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So um, as we kind of close out today, anything you'd like to get out, anything you need help with, um, uh, anything, any last cl- kind of closing statements about micro segmentation and what maybe pitfalls or something, but uh, kind of, you know, whatever kind of closing statements you have on that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I will say, you know, introducing the solution is, is it's not for the faint of heart. It's, 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 an easy, it's a difficult pro- project, a difficult program. And I've Ran a lot of different programs for 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 banks, and uh, you know this one is by far the most challenging, but it's the most rewarding as well. Um, and when you start bringing in the solution, start thinking about what you what you want to do with it, it's hard to really you know visualize everything that you can do with the with the visibility that you're going to have. Um, and my recommendation is just put the product in there, get the agents out there, look at how your environment communicates, um, and then you know see what kind of uh, things that you think might be something you want to fix, right? So maybe you're seeing cross-environment communication. You're seeing non-production communicating to prod. That shouldn't be happening, right? So, you know, you may want to, uh, you know, uh, incorporate that in your policy design. But just getting an understanding of how things communicate first will make it much easier to develop and plan out your design and work alongside your different teams, right? Working with them closely in the beginning and not working in a silo is going to make this much, much easier, right? You know, if your infrastructure guys know what you're doing and you're deploying this agent and you're going to be reliant on them, right? You're going to rely on them to work with you when you need to, you know, reinstall an agent or test something out, work with the, the, the chief information security office, because they're the ones that are dealing with the, with the findings, the, the regulatory aspects, what they need to introduce from a controls perspective. So you might be able to save a lot of people, a lot of time and effort if you incorporate that in, in, in the design as well work across the different verticals and understand and, and, and work together as a team as much as possible because this has so many moving parts to it that are going to be responsibilities of different teams that it's just better to get them involved in the beginning. And I think that's going to be the way to make the journey as easy as possible. Awesome. Sounds like a lot of moving pieces and a big undertaking, but thanks for joining today. It's been a pleasure. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.